welcome to the markets. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson with our weekly look at Wall Street, livestock, and grains around the world. We do this every week. Let me give you the dateline. It's Friday, April 26, Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, and by the way, this will be my last weekend report from Scottsdale for about uh, four months. I'll be returning to Huntley, Illinois, right next door to Chicago to continue my reports. And let's begin with some very good news, the ending to the market today. So let's give you the numbers first of all. The Dow closed up 79 points, 26,541. The S&P 500 closed up 13 points at 2939. And the NASDAQ closed up 27 points at 8146. For the week, here are the numbers. The S&P up 1.2%. The Dow lost just six hundredths of a percent, and the Nasdaq gained 1.86%, and both the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq closed at record levels on this Friday. So let's look at what made all of this activity happen today. A surprisingly strong report card on the U.S. economy helped power the benchmark S&P 500 and the NASDAQ composite indices to record high closes, capping a week of gains for stocks coming largely on the back of strong corporate profits. And while Intel Corporation was the biggest rag on the day after it gave a bleak outlook, Amazon.com, its results provided the biggest boost, and Walt Disney also offered support as it basked in strong box office numbers. After staying close to flat for much of the day, though, the S&P and the NASDAQ and the Dow gained ground in the last hour of trading, and that's why they registered their second record closes for the week. So, after a late 2018 sell-off, stocks have rallied this year in large part due to a more dovish stance from the Federal Reserve, as well as hopes of a U.S.-China trade resolution. And before the market opened today, U.S. Commerce Department data showed that gross domestic product rising faster than expected due to high inventories, while consumer and business spending slowed sharply, and home-building investment contracted for a fifth straight quarter. Earnings season has been mixed, but it's been, on average, positive, according to one analyst who said the theater now pivots from earnings season to the Fed meeting coming up next week. So as we take a look at uh, some of the uh, other numbers that came out today, the price of oil, it was down 3% today after U.S. President Trump again pressured the organization of the petroleum exporting countries to raise crude production to ease gasoline prices. So Brent crude futures settled at $72.15 a barrel. That was down $2.20 for the day. And U.S. crude ended down $1.91 at $63.30 a barrel for the day. 
Now let's look ahead. It's earnings report season. Even though it's slowing down a little bit, it's going to be pretty active next week. Google parent Alphabet expected to post an increase in first quarter revenue driven by soaring ad sales and solid contributions from its other businesses like YouTube, Play, Cloud, and its hardware initiatives. Boeing Company will hold its annual meeting with shareholders some of whom have sued the company over disclosures regarding its 737 MAX jetliner that is grounded worldwide following two fatal crashes. So, a slew of data on the U.S. economic calendar Tuesday. The Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index for April likely to show a reading of 126 points. And if it does, it would be up from a reading of 124.1 in March. Also, pending home sales likely to have rebounded a half a percent in March after a 1% drop in February. ADP's national employment data for April likely will show on Wednesday an addition of 180,000 jobs. Due on Thursday, the initial jobless claims for the weekend at April 27th likely to have dropped to 215,000 from 230,000 the week before. And then uh, non-farm payrolls in the monthly labor report expected to show a decrease of 180,000 in April from the 196,000 reading in March. Back to earnings reports, General Electric set to announce the first quarter earnings on Tuesday as its CEO sets low 2019 profit targets after promising it to be better than 2020 onwards. General Motors Company will report first quarter earnings on Tuesday. Pfizer is set to report first quarter results on Tuesday, and investors will focus on performance of key products like cancer drug Ibrands and pain treatment Zelgens. Company is also expected to discuss plans to launch a new heart drug, which is currently under review at the Food and Drug Administration. Same day, Eli Lilly and company expected to post a drop in first quarter earnings as it takes a hit from rising pricing pressures and the withdrawal of cancer drug Lartruvo. Merkin Company expected to post higher first quarter profit on Tuesday, powered by the use of its immunotherapy Keytruda as a treatment for lung and other types of cancer. And, yeah, there are more reports. Qualcomm expected to report a decline in second quarter revenue and profit on Wednesday. Sprint Corporation expected to report fourth quarter decline in earnings and a marginal increase in revenue on on, uh, Wednesday. Canada's Bombardier, maker of airplanes, will report first quarter earnings on Thursday. It faces questions on the future of its regional jet program. Phillips 66 expected to report a drop in first quarter profit Tuesday, weighed down by weak refining margins and higher Canadian crude oil prices. And shale oil producer Devon Energy Corporation expected to report 
a first quarter profit from a year ago loss on Tuesday. Also on Tuesday, Mondelez International, which makes the majority of its sales outside the United States, expected to report a decline in first quarter revenue. Another big earnings report next week from McDonald's Corporation, scheduled to report first quarter results on Tuesday. New launches like cheesy bacon fries and donut sticks are likely to boost its quarterly same-store sales in the United States. Cigna Corporation expected to post first quarter results on Thursday when investors will receive updates on how integration with Express Scripts has progressed after Cigna closed its $54 billion acquisition of the pharmacy benefits manager last year. MetLife plans to report its first quarter results after the close of trade on Wednesday. MasterCard expected to report an increase in first quarter profit on Tuesday. On Wednesday, SD Lauder Company expected to report a rise in quarterly sales and profit, buoyed by high demand for its makeup brands. And uh, the uh, refiner Holly Frontier Corporation expected to post a smaller profit due to a surge in Canadian crude oil prices. So there'll be enough to keep investors involved in looking at the uh, economic reports and in looking at the earnings reports that will again be out in abundance when we get into the next week. And one other point uh, that we want to cover today is the U.S. economic growth accelerated in the first quarter. But uh, the burst in growth was driven by a smaller trade deficit and the largest accumulation of unsold merchandise since 2015. The surge in growth reported by the Commerce Department this Friday put to rest fears of a recession. Gross domestic product increased at a 3.2% rate in the first quarter, that from the government in its advance GDP report. We'll take a look at what happened in the world of agriculture trading when we continue here on The Markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. It has been a few months since we visited with Naomi Bloom from Stuart Peterson. We're glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're in the midst of planting, slowly, ever so slowly, planting the crop. What's your gut feeling about the progress here? As we look ahead toward this coming Monday's weekly crop bulletin, how far along do you think we might be? I would guess that we're going to be closer to 10 to 11% planted with that corn and maybe 4 or 5% planted with soybeans. It's still a slower start. There's so many places throughout the Midwest. Soils are just absolutely saturated, and it seems like, based on what I'm hearing, that the only places that are getting planted are higher ground. So still a slow start. Um, we're hearing stories even uh, yesterday I heard in South Dakota that the soil is so saturated that four farmers just told their seed rep, 
they're not they're not going to need the seed. They were throwing in the towel. They were already thinking that they were going to be doing prevent plant acres. Um, might be more to the story, obviously, than that. This is early just, in the game for that, isn't it? It is. But, you know, they have a wet fall. They had so much snow that has melted. There's more rain on the way. And I, I don't know how, if, if they can take prevent plant this soon or that type of a thing. But it, I think just that the pulse and the heartbeat of the farmer is so down right now that not being able to get into the field or not even having your fall field work done. So you're thinking about that before you can even get the planting done. And um, I'm very curious to see how we end up as far as planted acres of corn and soybean and spring wheat acres in the coming months. I, I think there's a lot that's going to be developing in the storyline. Well, we know we have an amazing ability to plant when we can get into the fields. The U.S. farmer is geared up, crop input suppliers are geared up so that that plant, that crop can be planted quickly. But we need the opportunity to do so. What are you hearing from longer-range weather forecasters that you follow about the ability to have a sustained period wide enough for planting the crops? I haven't heard too much hopeful news right now. And and actually even talk about summer being a rainy summer. And, you know, for Pete's sake, if we can't even get the crop in the ground, it does make me think of 1993, where cooler and wet summer all summer long does not make for good grain. You know, you got to have some heat along the way with it as well. And um, especially if they can't get that anhydrous on ahead of time, I'm I'm concerned how things could be going forward. I remember 93 vividly. And it occurs to me that, yes, over the course of all of these years, we have rarely limited the crop size by too much rain. There have been those uh, outliers like 1993, to be sure. Have things changed, though, significantly since 93? I mean, you, you know, I, I hate to make a comparison back that far sometimes, even though I do on a regular basis. But I, I get to thinking about the mechanization that we have now, the ability to plant so quickly now. The hybrids are different now. But, yeah, you do have to get it in the ground. Yeah, I'm sure that the hybrids will be better or more in tune with things like this. But I think what it ends up doing is maybe it's the stage now where it'll be just a little bit less than trend line versus like a big percentage drop. And just a little bit less than trend line is actually significant in this day and age when our demand is so strong here in the U.S. and around the world, especially for the corn market. China this year is not going to be able to produce enough corn to meet their demand, especially when they are telling their farmers to be planting 16% more acres to soybeans. So they're in a situation where they say they have all this corn on hand, but as we all know, it's been there for years and years, and they do need fresh corn to blend with it. And they're going to be in a pickle if they have any weather issues at all going forward, too. The conventional wisdom has been that if we can't plant corn, we're going to see a bump in soybean acreage. Yet I have been impressed by looking at social media postings over the past few days, how many of those farmers who were posting shots of the platter in the field were putting in soybeans early. Yeah, they were, and they were excited. They're like, I'm trying something new this year. I, you know, I heard that this is going to be good for my yields. In Wisconsin, uh, one of the professors at Madison, Cool Bean is his uh, nickname and his, I, I believe his Twitter hashtag, um, has done some extensive research to show how even getting those beans planted early can result to better yields. So it will be very interesting to see if that takes on going forward because then, you know, we always were saying and thinking, well, if, if the corn doesn't get planted, then there will be more soybeans. But now we're in a situation where, well, the beans are starting. But when does the corn start instead? So I'm I'm so excited to see the, the final spring acres and the, and the summer planted numbers. And now I just heard, too, that um, so on that June... 29th uh, report where we're going to get the final mm-hmm. acres. Now on that one, it's also the quarterly stocks report. And on that report is where all of the flooded bins from Nebraska and Iowa are. That information will finally get accounted for on that report. 
So there's a lot of surprises going forward to be aware of, which gives me confidence to say that we're going to be finding a bottom in this market sooner than later. And and if you've got grain to sell, make sure that you start to think about where your target sales are going to be higher. Basis has improved so much throughout the Midwest right now. Maybe you can lock in a basis sale um, to try to do some delivery um, with the July contract. And I think for sure you'd see some sort of a rally there just because of the funds exiting short positions. So there's some opportunity going forward. Don't don't be so disheartened. Um, really, I think we're close to the bottom. We are disheartened. Uh, I think it's tough. You know, as you visit with growers, understandably, this has been a long, dark tunnel. And here's an interesting what if, and I know we're pondering a lot of what ifs here. But if it turns out that a significant amount of the bean acreage goes in early, and corn is the crop then that these growers are planting later, that makes it a little more susceptible, does it not, to a very hot, dry time at pollination if we were to turn off hot and dry by that point of the growing season. That's a great point. I'm glad that you brought it up. I hadn't thought about it that way um, because that is something that the market really wouldn't have seen before from the standpoint of, you know, usually that corn gets in early. So now to have that switch gears, it puts even more importance on summer weather and pollination going forward. I'm so glad that you brought that up. What do you think about this heavily short market here? I mean, talk with us about the potential of having all of those players short the market now. Yeah, over 350,000 contracts of corn short is what they're estimated to be. Over 100,000 contracts of bean short. This is These are funds. The funds. The funds have been selling. And the reason they're selling is because there's not any immediate gratification of bullish news. That immediate gratification would be a trade deal. It would be a weather issue. It would be um, Chinese buying. It would be um, any sort of, of glimmer of hope. And, and right now they don't have that glimmer of hope. So they're going to stay short in the market. They're going to stay as sellers until somebody cries uncle or they have a reason to exit those positions. Looking ahead, we have potential trade deal news coming up the first week of May. And if there is any news on there that maybe sounds more sincere, um, especially something more of a detail about ethanol or about corn or cattle or the hogs, it might finally be the catalyst for the funds to start to exit the short positions. The other thing that we're battling is the dollar being higher. It's not helping our export market as well. And and just too many negative factors for the moment. But it feels mostly like the funds are waiting for the trade deal or a significant weather issue before they let up on being short in the market. A number of growers I know who marketed successfully their 2018 crop did so successfully in a very narrow window in the spring in a period of time that is coming up here before too long. That's not always going to happen, but it's it's a reminder of what can happen. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and something to also be aware of is that in the past four years, December corn futures had their high two times. It was the week, the second week of July. So that's coming back after 4th of July, looking at pollination, and then there's a USDA report that week. And that was the high price for the year. One year, the high came the second week of June, which would be in correlation with a USDA report and, of course, last year the high came early because of the tariffs in May. But it makes me feel that seasonally, the seasonals will still work in this marketplace. But be ready. It's going to be a fast and furious rally when it comes. You're going to be busy in the field planting. You're going to be busy in the fields doing something else. So you have to stay in tune. You have to stay in tune. Listen to Max on the radio every day and make sure that you know what's going on in the marketplace because it's going to come fast and furious. We've seen funds make the market move 50 cents higher or lower within two weeks 
and and make sure that you have orders in place with your elevator. Make sure you're thinking about percentages of sales that you're going to be doing in the cash market because the opportunity will come. It'll be there. And, of course, uh, it requires prudence on the part of those who are buying who, who need to be watching for a bump up in price if they're booking feed supplies, for yeah, example. absolutely. If you're an end user of grain right now, it is on sale, big time sale. And if there is any weather issue in the Northern Hemisphere, you have to remember three quarters of the world's corn is grown in the Northern Hemisphere. So we have a whole lot of growing season to watch between not only the United States, but Canada, Russia, Ukraine, and China, where the bulk of the grain is grown. So it's not over yet. It's you sound like you're struggling to be bearish. In other words, you, you see some potential out there. Yeah, I think, you know, and then I read, everybody is bearish right now. And when everybody is bearish, you know what happens. So I'm trying to, you know, show different scenarios of what could happen to make this marketplace work higher. And the other thing to remember, um, another little side fact, as we're talking about what ifs, China's imports of edible oils has been up 48% this year. So even though they're not necessarily buying the soybean, because they aren't needing it for crushing as much. They don't need that meal. They still need the oil. So it's edible oil, palm oil, canola oils, some soybean oils, primarily palm oil. They get their palm oil from neighboring countries. And a few years back, there was an issue with palm oil production, and that's what sent the whole soybean market racing higher. Right now, there's a 65% chance of El Nino within the palm oil-growing regions of the world. And what that means for them is not the monsoon rains that they normally would get, and hotter temperatures, and that is not good for palm oil production. So that's another area of the world to be watching uh, as you go forward. So, um, yeah, Chinese are still frying their food. Got to have that oil. One other thing about the Chinese, obviously we're watching the African swine fever situation. With the decimation, we think, almost everyone believes of their hog herd. That means less feed will be needed, one would think. Yeah, and, that, and we're seeing that. We, we're seeing that. That's part of the why that the soybean meal market has been pushing lower. Um, so that is a demand factor of less demand, obviously, within China. Um, one way to think outside the box, though, as far as China has 1.3 billion people in their country. The United States has 327 million. Half of that pork is in the rural areas, and if they're not able to have that access to the protein, think of the pounds of protein and the pounds of food. That is not available to those people. So they're going to be looking to increase poultry production. They're going to be needing to feed their people somehow. The Chinese government doesn't work if the people are going to be hungry and then coming in to the cities looking for jobs when there potentially aren't jobs there. I'm hopeful that this means that this will be more of a reason for China to import not only hog and pork from us, but beef. What about dairy products? Dry powder is a great way to get protein, to get calories, to get calcium. Um, cheese is a great thing, and I think we're already starting to see the dairy export market, which had been down, starting to increase a little bit. Is it? Just a little bit after being down so much. Milk prices have improved a dollar in the past month and a half. So there's things happening behind the scenes where I have hope for the marketplace. And I really strongly feel going forward that we have some opportunities ahead, but don't be complacent. And, and when they arise, make sure you're ready to capture them. We always look forward to your visits. Thanks for coming in again. Thanks, Max. Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312. 312- 
1322-342-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Well, we haven't talked about China this week on the markets, so let's do it and do it briefly. A story today saying White House economic advisor Kevin Hassett said that, quote, ample progress is being made in the U.S.-China trade talks. And continuing the quote, there is ample progress. There are discussions about the next round of talks ongoing. There is nothing to announce on that yet. How many times have we heard we're making progress on the U.S.-China trade talks? It seems like it's been the last year that every week we have given you a bulletin saying, yeah, we did make some progress, but we're working on it. So we hope they'll keep making progress. The Archer Daniels Midland Company shook the agricultural world this week. Biofuels pioneer ADM took another step toward abandoning its pure play ethanol assets today. The latest sign of the industry's struggles with trade wars, thin margins, and overproduction. U.S. law requires ethanol to be blended into gasoline, but domestic demand for the biofuel added to gasoline has flatlined in recent years as consumers have opted for greater fuel efficiency and electric vehicles. Ethanol producers have been forced to look abroad for demand growth. They had banked on China to buy excess capacity from the United States, but tariffs in the last two years have halted buying, and that just adds to the industry's substantial overcapacity. ADM executives acknowledge that the problem on Friday when the company reported that profit tumbled 41% in the fourth quarter. ADM said it may spin off three large dry mills, which primarily produce only ethanol, after unsuccessfully searching for a buyer for those mills since 2016. And at the time, its move to exit ethanol shocked the industry due to ADM's status as a leading biofuels producer. But ADM Chief Financial Officer Ray Young said on an earnings call today that the industry must stop the self-inflicted wounds. He said, and I quote, Our decision to monetize the dry mills is frankly a strategic decision on our part to basically help the industry consolidate. Last week, U.S. ethanol production hit just a little over a million barrels per day. That's the highest in at least five years, according to the Energy Information Administration. Producers such as Green Plains and Pacific Ethanol had laid off workers and idled or sold plants to stay afloat during the sustained downturn. China emerged as a significant buyer for the first time back in 2015, and subsequent plans to use ethanol in gasoline nationwide in China by 2020 raised hopes the world's second largest economy would scoop up the excess U.S. supply. Hasn't happened. So ADM, a pioneer in the industry, looking to make some changes in the production of ethanol. 
getting more reports on the damage caused by the floods uh, back in late uh, winter, early spring. A company called Farm Market ID served up some data this week that said nearly 150,000 growers in the four-state region of Nebraska and Missouri, Iowa, and Kansas, nearly 150,000 affected by the flooding, nearly 90,000 grain bins uh, that are now located in flooded areas valued at $4 billion, and 1.24 billion bushels of storage capacity in the affected area. That's about 31% of the on-farm grain storage in the United States. And we'll keep counting as we move into the spring planting season. So let's take a quick look at where the markets ended today in the grain and livestock trade and where they'll be starting on Monday. At the Chicago Board of Trade today, the July wheat contract up just three quarters of a cent, 442 and a half. July corn up four and a quarter at 361 and a quarter. And July soybeans down six cents at $8.67 a bushel. And in livestock trade that again saw daily limit moves in lean hog futures, well, the uh, June lean hog contract dropped a dollar twenty cents a hundredweight today, so it'll start Monday at eighty-eight dollars seventy-five cents. June live cattle down thirty-two cents today, starting Monday at one hundred fifteen dollars five cents, and May feeder cattle gained just twenty cents. It'll start next week at one hundred forty-three dollars ninety-five cents a hundredweight. Thank you for joining us, Max Armstrong and yours truly, Orion Samuelson, with you every week to cover the market story and the news that makes the markets on the markets.